Hey drama listeners, welcome to year three of drama. Connor and I could not be more excited for all of the upcoming interviews, conversations, and just amazing surprises that we have in store. If you want to continue helping us keep the ball rolling and churning out great content, we would greatly appreciate your support on our Patreon, which we affectionately call Patreama. You've heard us talk about it before, but it's basically bonus episodes, access to our Instagram close friends, and also the eternal love and gratitude from Connor and I. Who could ask for anything more? This holiday season, we would absolutely appreciate if you're feeling a little giving, if you would help support us. It's just $5 a month. You don't even realize it's 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 such a small amount compared to what else you know you might be budgeting for. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you all and get ready for a very, very fun episode coming in your ears right now. Press play, curtain up an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. Hey, Dylan. Hey, I am still getting used to our new intro that we've been doing for literally two years. We've cut in New York City and the world from our well, intro. In year one, it was in New York City. And then in year two, we famously had a pandemic and expanded to interviewing people around the world. And now it's just everywhere. So well, if we were to say it today, it would be in New York City, where you are. Columbus, Ohio, where I am, and then Salt Lake City, where our guests are. And speaking of Salt Lake City, we have some things to discuss about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I know, because Dylan, we are in in between weeks here of a landmark moment in Housewives, in reality TV history. I'll never forget where I was when I watched that episode. Oh my God. Well, for our listeners, you know, Jen Shaw, who's famously a real housewife in Salt Lake City, who I actually met at a Halloween party three weeks ago. And I told her that I was a big fan of the show and kind of like creatively didn't tell her I'm a fan, but I kept, everyone was DMing me like, oh my God, you met Jen. And I was like my night with a convict. <laughs> Literally. Well, she's but been indicted. She's been indicted. And the episode where they're at Beauty Lab and Laser in the van getting ready to go, which we all saw in the teaser trailer for the season, but holy shit, Dylan, it was everything. I know. The look on her face when she got the phone call that was alerting her that the feds were on their way to arrest her and lock her up raw. <laughs> Not raw. The way that her expression dropped, the the shock on her face, you could it was you could feel it. My heart was thumping. I know. And she was then on the lamb, fully ran away. They broke it down in such like a true crime way. I felt like I was watching a murder mystery. Like you saw what Heather was doing, and and then when they're sitting in the van and and Jen was gone, and you could see the feds through the windows uh-huh. of the van, and like we as viewers. I mean, we're, we knew it was coming, but it was haunting. It was a true horror movie. And I can't wait for part two. I hope it delivers. I know. Wait, I was gagged for Whitney putting the pieces together in the van. Like, uh-huh. oh shit, it's going down and it's not Sharif in the mm-hmm. hospital. There's tea. I think that Jenny was living for every second of it. She was like, wait, they're asking about Jen. Oh my it was God. it was great. And you know, Heather Gay, she's returned to my top queen of Salt Lake. She lost me for a minute, but now she's back. Agreed. Agreed. And Lisa is is delivering. I wish Meredith was mm-hmm. in the van, though, because I she know. really delivered on that episode when that guy from Mary's congregation came through. Oof. And she was in such yeah, she shock. she put in the work. Wait, did you hear that that guy is, like, actually deceased now? Like, in real life? No. 
Yes. Oh, that's troubling. I know. And there's no cause of death listed on his online obituary. I'm not even kidding. You can't make this stuff so up. So you're saying that Mary M. Cosby had him taken out. Okay, listen, we want to get to our guests today who they maybe they've gone on their own walking tour of the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City while they're <laughs> in town. Perhaps they're busy working on I a don't, new musical. I know. Who I don't know. I don't think they've had time, Dylan. But listen, this is this is an historic moment in podcast recording history because we've only ever had one other duo on the pod so on the main on the main pod on the main pod this feels like a party i am so excited and i'm just gonna bring them in because the time is now all right drama listeners are in for a special treat today as we come at you with a duo for the second time ever our first guest made history as the first Asian-American woman to play Christine Daae in Phantom of the Opera on Broadway, as well as performed as Cosette in Les Miserables and in The King and I on The Great Bright Way. Other credits include the national tour of West Side Story as Maria, The Fantastic, 1776, Chicago at the Muni as Mary Sunshine, and more. Our second guest is known for his work in Gold Mountain for many of its iterations, Miss Saigon, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Sweeney Todd, and more. He's the co-writer and star of the acclaimed musical web series, City of Dreams. Together, our guests are the stars of the world premiere of the new musical, Gold Mountain, with Utah Shakespeare Festival, running through November 20th. The show's creative team is entirely comprised of women and artists of color. That is a gag, honey. Say no more. Please welcome to drama, Allie Ewald and Johnny Lee Jr. Hi! (laughs) What an intro. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, seriously. It is so fun to have you both here. Welcome to drama. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Are you well? Yeah. I can't speak for Johnny, but, you know, we are at the end of our second day off in a row where I guess we had two days off and we're, we're going back into week two of performances of Gold Mountain. So I feel delightful, refreshed, really. <laughs> you know, I uh, woke up from a two hour nap just 30 minutes ago. It felt great to sleep. So yeah, I, I'm ready. Johnny, was it like a nap though, where you woke up and you were like, what day is it? It was like one of those food coma naps. I <laughs> ate my lunch and I was like, I'm going to go sleep now. <laughs> that's that's me did. after any time I eat a Jimmy John's sandwich. And I don't know if it's a Jimmy John's thing. I, it could be. I, I, you know, I love Jimmy John's and I usually get their unwitch. Me so too. I usually feel okay. I'm such a whore for the unwitch. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. See, I, I love the bread. Wait, so. how's the food in Utah? Is that a thing anyone's ever wondered? <laughs> it's a very valid question. So we are performing just outside of Salt Lake in West Valley City, which I'm told, and please listeners correct me if I'm wrong, is one of the mer- most diverse places in all of Utah. And it means that we are surrounded by delicious Asian food, like all sorts <sighs> of like really, really yummy Asian food. In fact, I had a delicious Thai lunch today from... Um, from one of the local places. Thank you, Tuk Tuks. Shout out to them. <laughs> a little Pad Thai, yeah. a little Pad Siu or something mm-hmm. like that. Indeed. We literally have had Vietnamese food maybe like almost every other day. I've had several bowls of pho. They've all been very <sighs> delicious. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so, so here's a little secret because I'm guessing that neither of you have worked on, you know, a predominantly Asian show <laughs> no. before. But the one of the most magical things about doing a show with a very Asian company 
is the amount of food that is constantly either talked about or being eaten <laughs> or shared at the theater. I mean, we've got snacks galore for days that have come from the Asian grocery store. Um, every, you know, every rehearsal ends with like a full length discussion about where the next meal we it's very it's very central to the process, I would say. Oh, my God. I love it. What is it like working with a cast? And is it a crew too, comprised of all Asian people? It's honestly wonderful because, you know, whenever we do a show that's predominantly Asian American or has a lot of Asian American people working on it, it's kind of just like a family reunion. You know, our community is not terribly large and we either know of people or are really good friends with people already. So whenever something like this happens, it's just kind of like a little bit of a party. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's something kind of, I've, I've been able to do, you know, I've been fortunate to do shows that have had predominantly um, Asian American casts and ones that haven't. And I think that exactly as Johnny said, there's just this, this built in level of sort of comfort and family, because if we don't know each other already, we know a million and a half people in common. And so we have all of that, that common ground. And it's also really remarkable. I was thinking about this um, when I did The King and I on Broadway, mm -hmm. that, you know, most of our sort of family cultures are actually incredibly different, right? My mom grew up in the Philippines, which is very different from Johnny's family in Taiwan, which is different from our cast members with family in Japan. But there's something that's um, that's really connective about the Asian American theater community. And one of those things is food, honestly, but also just this like this great respect and celebration of, you know, what we're, we've all been able to accomplish in this business, I think, because it is a smaller community. We find that that being supportive of each other and really uplifting all of our work um, is incredibly critical to kind of survival and, and to continuing to make great, great art. And so this process in particular, because we've had a creative team, you know, Alan Maroka, our our director of like Sesame Street fame. Um, we had Amanda Morton as our uh, music supervisor who I'd never worked with before, but had, you know, heard amazing things. And she was so wonderful. And, and Joanna Lee is our conductor. Jason Ma obviously wrote the entire show. Billy Bustamante and Darren Lee um, on team choreography. It's just been really exciting to have all of these really, really talented, hardworking AAPI artists getting to be in charge and, and help us create, you know, create this art together. Oh my goodness, so beautifully said, and your ability to recall all the names, I'm literally <laughs> blown away. Um, was Billy Bustamante in Miss Saigon on Broadway? He was. Yeah. He was assistant commissar. He was. Okay, I knew the last name there. I remember there was this article written by Louis Peitzman a few years ago. I don't know if it was in Playbill or something else, but it was about Asian representation on Broadway and how small it has been in, in Broadway's history. I mean, I could probably name on one, maybe two hands, the number of predominantly Asian shows. And so I think it's really exciting that we're getting another one right now, Gold Mountain, which has obviously been gestating for years. I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about the show and hopefully more than just the lucky, you said it's called West Valley View or? West Valley City, yes. yes. West Valley City. Hopefully, you know, that's that area and Salt Lake and beyond will get to experience a little bit about the show. I'm curious just about like, what is the, what is the story of, of Gold Mountain? Okay. So Gold Mountain is predominantly about, so Everyone knows that we built the Transcontinental Railroad right across the country. And a lot of the times, you know, a lot of people aren't aware, but a lot of the western half of the railroad tracks were built by Chinese immigrants. And so Gold Mountain is about a group of Chinese immigrant men at a certain campsite 
And along with that comes a young man who becomes the fuse runner. And a fuse runner is someone that pretty much because the uh, bosses were really cheap and decided that they didn't want to spend too much money on the Chinese workers, they had a man go into the cave, light a fuse and run out before it would explode. So, you know, she'd save on costs instead of buying long fuse. And uh, so that was, so it's about him. And then he meets a beautiful young Chinese prostitute and they have a torrid affair. Oh my God. This sounds like drama. There is, there is definitely drama. There's plenty of drama. And what's amazing is, you know, all of this, obviously like we're, we're telling a fictional story, but it's all based on historical fact, including, you know, all the people that, that came over and Johnny and I got to do a reading of this about two years ago here in Utah. We were both in Salt Lake City and in Ogden and, um, and we were brought in, it was the 150th anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad. It's called 150. And it's the first time that the descendants of the Chinese railroad workers were included in these celebrations and that the contributions of all of these these immigrants, these people that built the railroads that we use today, you know, that were actually being honored and included in the American narrative. I think more often than not, the Chinese workers have sort of been written out of the story of the of the creation of this country and so so our musical was brought in as you know as part celebration and telling the very human stories of of these people that you know that existed and were not treated well or paid well or you know um but but were integral to the infrastructure of this country wow wow that is like the power of theater and even film and whatnot that they're able to highlight these stories that maybe haven't always had, you know, this might not even be in anyone's history book in, in America. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, I can also imagine a lot of people probably did not survive this, especially the, um, the fuse runners, probably. Yeah, they indeed died. Indeed. Made major plot point. <laughs> That's a big plot point. <laughs> yes. And, you know, like the, one of the biggest points that the creative team wanted to make sure that we depicted was how rough it was to be in this area, especially during the winter when it was just so freezing cold and there was really nowhere to go. And there are times where the railroad workers would have to live inside the mountain and continue working while everybody else had a winter break wow okay wait so johnny do you play the fuse runner i do i do that fuse runner sounds like it could be an alternate title but maybe i'm just thinking of the science fiction book the maze runner (laughs) 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 he does he does get a whole song describing what his job oh my god oh my god is that like his i want song (laughs) no no no. my i want song is about falling in love with with a girl in china just like my dream of having a family because it's very very chinese to just want to marry have children and build a family for yourself wow okay so then ali your character what is she doing would they hire sex workers to come and visit them while they were working well they did not for the chinese workers unfortunately but for for many of the other the railroad bosses and the people that that were working around so a lot of before there were a lot of women you know in california during the gold rush and the building of the railroad and all that more often than not you know the men that were there would um would frequent some brothels and they would have women brought in so that was wow for for a long time Sort of what was happening and, and my character story is that she grew up in china her family comes upon really hard times and i actually ended up doing some research and and some of it said that at that time because of 
famine and drought and all sorts of other things and sort of the importance of male children versus female children about one in 10 girls were given away or sold to help support their families, not necessarily into prostitution, but, you know, as indentured servants or as wives or, you know, any of those things. And so that is kind of the trajectory of my, my character may kind of decides to take care of her family because they've fallen upon really, really challenging times. And, you know, probably unbeknownst to her, um, has to endure quite, quite a bit of hardship over in California. But in the circumstance of our play, finds this camp that is filled with um, Chinese workers who speak her language, who understand her culture, who have a connection to home, to Chinese opera, to all of these things. And and that really mm-hmm. brings her to the campsite. We, it's been it's been really interesting because John, both Johnny and I have been working on this musical for a long time in readings. And I've discovered how little, you know, when you're when you're doing a reading, you're concentrating so much on making sure you get words out and you know the notes that you're singing and and because you you aren't super familiar with the text that you kind of miss some things and i realized i was telling johnny in our process that one of the lines in the show is that the brothel that my character is based in is an hour away from the campsite which means that every time i choose to go visit johnny's character i have to trek for an hour through like the mountains and the desert but it is that important for her to be able to be with somebody who understands her needs and wants obviously there's love connection there as well and that is those are the stakes for her you know that it's it's worth um, getting to spend some time with people that that understand and and love her to to trek for an hour each way for like what what do we meet for Johnny like fifteen minutes maybe yeah <laughs> literally for like oh it's just five minutes of like sweet flirting and she's like bye <laughs> <laughs> so is there is there maybe some jealousy though from other other men in the camp who who might be interested in May so no actually uh, it is a plot point that a lot of the men feel shame when they see her because they bring up a lot of insecurities about how they have left their women behind at home, their mm. children, their wives, and they're also disrespect for the profession that she's in. Okay, I don't want to give away too many plot points because I do feel like there's going to be a future for this. I want to see it. I'm like literally obsessed. It sounds so good. Allie, sing, her first song in the show is like literally, it's it's a epic song that I get to sit on stage and watch her do every single night. And it's like, it's honestly one of the most magical journeys I've seen in a musical theater performance. It's beautifully sung, obviously, but it's also just so heart-wrenching and like within those, like what, like four minutes or something? It's like, I, I don't know. I'm just lucky that I get to watch it every single night. Johnny, Johnny's being very kind. And also like he's he's... <laughs> Missing the point that he's totally integral to the whole thing because I have to keep, you know, referencing back to him. And he is, he is in fact, my scene partner as I go on this <laughs> epic journey from which I usually pass out right about. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Have, have you two been attached to the project for most of its life? Yeah, I think yeah. we I think Jason decided that, that we've done we've each missed one of the iterations of like the readings. But, um, but it's been. I think almost what eight or nine years, something like that. It's been a long time that that yeah. I've been working on this for sure. Yeah. Wow. I think you've been attached for that long. I've only been attached for I think around five or six years. I want to say. What an interesting experience, Johnny. What is the music like? I'm kind of curious. Oh my goodness! So Jason Ma, the writer, has written this beautiful. It's just very sweeping and gorgeous and very traditional musical theater, I want to say, because he wrote this piece sort of in the height of the 
big operatic musical theater style where uh, with all the camera Macintosh mm. productions about. So it kind of fits in that world. I don't know. It, it has wonderful musical motifs that are very Chinese, but then it has some beautiful Western musical theater influences as well. It's a really great combination of both. The imagery in it is just kind of sweeping and, and ta- takes you away in the best way, in the way that musical theater can kind of bring you oh out of yourself. And, it's definitely and poetic. I need to see it. it. Like it. I need to come. I'm coming to Utah. I'm just kidding. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I hope that there's come. a life for it. I was thinking about you guys talking about how long you've been involved in it. What a gratifying experience it probably is to get to spend so much time on a piece and then to finally put it out there for people to see it, you know? Oh my gosh. Totally, totally. Actually, the journey from from beginning to this point has been over 20 years, obviously, because of, you know, when Jason had wrote the piece. But even from when I started, the first time I actually even ever acted with Ali was uh, we were lucky enough to do a workshop in Saratoga Springs sponsored by the Maisie Center, Elliot Maisie, who is a wonderful producer that has done a lot of producing for uh, Broadway shows. He decided to do a workshop up at his center. And what we did was before Zoom was even a thing, we acted with each other through this weird four screened movable computer thingy. I don't know what it was, but Ali was in New York. I was in Saratoga Springs and we were just, we would just act with each other through it. And even from that moment, I was like, oh, this is really fun. This is really special. And it was exhilarating to be doing something like that so new, especially with Ali. And I hadn't even met her in person yet at that point. It's crazy. Elliot Macy's been very, very far ahead of the curve with the e. He actually made his business doing e-learning. He's been teaching people for for many decades, and so now he's like, "Oh, this Zoom thing—it's old hat." But he he brought us in before <laughs> before we knew you know what was happening. Is he still involved with the production? Yeah, he was here this weekend. He came out to see us and support, and um, I believe he's taking the train all the way home to New York so you can experience you know this thing that these Chinese workers helped to build you know and what what it would be like to travel by train from Utah all the way home yeah oh my god that is so cool okay wait so I I, there's other things I want to talk about with you guys but I just have to say congrats on this run I hope that everyone if they even if they don't get a chance to see it I hope that there is more life to it because it sounds like a story that needs to be told and I need to see you both do it so it's got to live on. Or maybe we'll get a cast album. Broadway Records loves to do that. So, as we'll all of the things, all of the things should happen. Hey, oh, and just one, one other little thing to go from like, you know, what John is describing our little Zoom thing to get to walk into the theater here and see this beautiful set. We're in sort of the most thrust, but the tunnel that Johnny's character, the fuse runner, goes into, we have this beautiful green bluff. When we first saw the space as a whole in the thrust, they're just, just the magic of theater, right? Just, just immerses you within that world. And seeing all these things finally realized was an other out of body experience. And, and also like part of the joy was seeing Jason Ma witness all of this stuff. You know, he would like sure. sit in the corner and just basically I would see a tear fall of his eyes. I'm just like, Oh my God, literally the things that you've dreamt about are coming into life in real material. And it's just, it's a feeling that I bet you can't even just reproduce anywhere, you know? Oh, yeah. Especially you said it's been 20 years. Like the Cameron Macintosh era was like late 80s mega musicals, Mm -hmm. like early 90s. So this has definitely been like probably a dream for him. Oh, totally. And And it was a really tough road because when he started, when he wrote it initially, he submitted it to every place 
And uh, he got really awful rejection letters where people would be like, why do you think musical theater even needs to hear this story? You know, like stuff like that, which was very upsetting, I could imagine. And it really uh, brought him down. So he basically shoved the musical under his bed for 20 years. Wow. What was it that inspired it to come back out of hibernation? It was Ali. So he saw... Yeah. So he saw Allie perform. I think, I can't remember where it was, but he, I don't think he had known her then, but he saw her perform at this concert, got to meet her and thought, I have this perfect role for her. And honestly, she is stunning playing this role. It's so good. And, you know, he had the right instinct because he saw her in it. She is basically perfect for it. So he decided to revive his musical theater aspirations as a writer and producer and has sought out basically every opportunity till now. That is so cool. She's she was um his muse. She really was, and she's like of most the most wonderful muse because not only is she super talented, but even the rehearsal process, just her um, instinct with the character and under- understanding of it all, just really brought forth beautiful, beautiful rewrites that make sense. And especially in the time that we are in right now, you know, because like you know, a lot of the things that we have to watch out for is if something was written years and years ago, it doesn't really apply to our current cultural lens mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, and there was also all these conversations that were happening about all of these crimes against elderly Asian people and rallying for representation and whatnot. And so... I think that this is coming at the right time as well when it's like, well, hey, this show has been in the works. And to that, what you're saying about the Asian hate crime stuff, you know, part of the reason why that happens is that a lot of American media doesn't really depict Asian Americans or even Asian immigrants as real human people. And I feel like that's why it's so easy for random people who attacked elderly people like that. You know, because there's obviously xenophobia happening because of this pandemic that we're all experiencing. And aggression like that just happens to be easiest on the weakest, which would be the oldest of our community. And if entertainment really depicted Asians as real human beings like this story does, it shows you that we can be multi-layered people instead of just like the nerd or the sexy sex worker on the corner. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear you say that. I was speaking with my friend recently about the TV show Insecure on HBO, which I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's so freaking good, Issa Rae. And my friend was saying to me that, because we were talking about how it's the final season and it's ending, and she was saying that she's especially sad it's ending because as a Black woman, she doesn't see many TV shows or films even where it's about Black people just existing in every part of themselves that they are and when when you were just talking about that i realized i don't really i don't think there's many shows about asian americans just existing as they are you know i mean i can think of like two different shows that have been out in the last couple of years that have predominantly asian casts but there aren't even that many tv shows that have asian stars you know i mean it's it's really upsetting i remember when um and i think i've talked about this on the podcast before but on the TV show on the CW, my crazy ex-girlfriend or crazy ex-girlfriend, Dylan, you watched it, right? The Rachel Bloom show. She made mm-hmm. the romantic lead of the show an Asian man. And I remember reading an article about yeah, it. Vincent Rodriguez the third. Yeah. And she was yeah. like, I uh-huh. want to show that like Asian men can be sexy too. And they are sexy. You just haven't been shown this yet. And like, this is, 
this is the guy that I am heartbroken over, that I'm crazy over, you know? And I thought that was so cool. And it was something I had not thought about, you know? Yeah. I mean, Rachel grew up in a predominantly Asian community because she grew up in Southern California. If she grew up in West Covina is literally like, I don't know, 70% Chinese. So to, I remember when Vincent did get that part we were all like the entire community was super excited for him because you know it was his first big break number one into tv but to represent a character that was just literally a bro that was asian Mm -hmm. was so different and super exciting to see right because you don't you don't ever see that i think they called him hot josh right wasn't that his name Um, well no i I think yeah hot josh or just regular josh because they would call the other one white josh Uh, (laughs) white josh right yeah exactly because in real in real life a lot of the times we would experience that as being like the asian one not the the standard normal quote-unquote normal one oh jeez i think really brings it home to all of us how special this is, how important it is for the for the story to be told and for different voices to get their chance to, you know, to really have their their ideas and, and dreams and thoughts realized. It's so impactful. Wow. Well, we have just been chit-chatting away, but we do want to get to one of our, our favorite segments that we have on the show. But I'll let Connor describe because he loves he loves to intro this segment. Dylan, you know me too well. We call it the Ring of Keys moment inspired by Fun Home, where we ask our guests about that moment of recognition where they realized they loved the arts, the theater, television, film, the entertainment at large. And um, either of you can start, but did you have that moment when you were like, oh my God, I need this in my life? Allie first. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh gosh. I mean, there. Oh, there's so there's so many moments. I'm gonna go with when I I'm totally dating myself, but when I watched the reboot of the Mickey Mouse Club before Britney Spears was on it, there was this. There is this amazing actor singer named Dee Dee Magno Hall, and she is Filipina. And I remember sitting in my living room when we had like the free trial of the Disney channel and watching her sing and dance and be beautiful and be really cool and be like part of the whole fabric of the Mickey Mouse Club and think like, wait, she's Filipino. I'm Filipino. That means that I can possibly do this too. And the crazy full circle moment of it all is that my very first professional job out of college, I understudied Didi. Um, in um, the Aladdin show in California at Disneyland, I was her understudy slash flying body double. I got to ride on the magic carpet um, while Dee Dee was downstage, like singing A Whole New World. And I <laughs> shared a dressing room with her and Jenny Kwan, who was also, um, I also got to watch on television when I was a child, another Filipino American who was on the show called California Dreams, again, totally dating myself. But I got to understudy those two women and they were the kindest, loveliest, most talented people. They sat with me for my put-in, helped me pin curl my hair, told me where to put my microphone. They didn't have to do any of that. And they just, not only had I idolized them as a child and they, you know, they inspired me to join the business, but then they really taught me how I wanted to be, you know, if I was a, ever fortunate enough to be a leading lady, to be leading a show, you know, the way one behaves with, with kindness and grace. Oh my goodness. And, and you know, funnily enough, about a year ago, we had Didi on <gasps> drama. She's a friend of the pod and I love her. She, yeah. I, I, I see a lot of the similar qualities between the two of you, just so generous and kind and very, very positive. I mean, she is, she finds joy in everything. And 
I think it's so cool that you see someone on TV and you're like, I literally want to be them. And then one day you're literally them as their body double. <laughs> so crazy. And thank you. I mean, that is the highest, the highest of compliments. Um, and it's funny because I feel like since Dee has been living in LA and mm-hmm. now she's actually in, in Vegas, um, we haven't gotten to see each other face to face a ton. Like we see each other on social media. And earlier this summer, I was doing a concert with Broadway Barcada, this amazing um, Filipino American group in Vegas and Dee came to support. And I, I had been like talking about her in venues like this so much, but not really getting to say thank you to her face. And I came off the stage and she was crying and I was crying. We had just this like beautiful love and love and hug fest. And I just think the world of her. She's oh amazing. My God, that's so special. That is so special. We got to see her as Nessa Rose in Wicked on tour. Like that was like our introduction to her with her husband as Fiero. <laughs> beautiful Clif- couple. Yeah, shout out to Clifton. Clifton's awesome. Yep. Yeah, beautiful couple, <laughs> beautiful family. Um, well, Ali, I love your Ring of Keys moment. I think it's so special. I love when the Ring of Keys comes back around and is full circle. Johnny, what do you, do you have anything yeah. that's top of your mind as your Ring of Keys? I do. And it's actually oddly, it, it parallels Ali's in a little bit. So in, in the way that for some reason, Asian women have affected us. So when I was very, very little, my, my high school, my high school did a production of Sound of Music and the lead was played by a Chinese American woman. And it was my first exposure to literal, just like stage musical theater. Cause before that I watched like movie musicals and such. So I remember seeing this girl sing Maria and in my head I was like, oh, she she's Asian and she's able to play this part. That's really cool. But I didn't really think I could also do that as well. But then when I was around, I think, I can't remember what age, but I was, I became obsessed with Les Mis and I really wanted to see Les Mis. And I told my parents, they're like, sure, we'll, we'll go see that. And then they bought tickets to Miss Saigon. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so then we went to go see Miss Saigon. And I sat there. And I was like, hmm, I don't want to see this. But then all these beautiful Asian bodies came out on stage. And one of them was Dee Dee Magno Hall. She was the first yeah, Kim yeah. that I ever saw. And I just remember sitting there being amazed by everything on stage. And just like the beautiful sound coming out of her, number one, but the emotional journey I took just watching that show at such a young age too. Well, at first I was super embarrassed because I was with my parents and everyone was like super scantily clad and I was like, eh, why am I here? But then the drama kicked in and then I saw the story and it was just beautiful and it made me think maybe I could do this too. And you did. Yeah, I did. You were in Miss Saigon, and right? I, I, I did a small touring production Miss Saigon that started out in Kansas City that did a couple of other uh, cities after that but I also was able to perform with Dee Dee in a couple of galas for East West Players out in Los Angeles when I first moved out there and that was a really wonderful moment because you know just getting to work with someone that you saw on stage and really just affected your life that way it's magical honestly (laughs) I love that so much. I'm like kind of laughing, but I'm like obsessed with the fact that this podcast is about Dee Dee. (laughs) (laughs) She would be like, what? She'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, this is crazy. But no, that's, it's really amazing. And it's, I mean, it's been said forever and ever, but representation obviously matters. And you know what I mean? Like, Johnny, you being like, maybe I could do that. That's so powerful. It's just, it's inspiring to me. I want to kind of cherry pick one credit each for both of you before we kind of wrap up. But Allie, we have to talk about Phantom. Yes. <laughs> Are you tired of talking about Phantom? Are you so no, sick of it? Yeah. 
Not at all. Never, never, now, never. You, of course, made history. And now we have history being made again with the first Black Christine alternate. Yes. But um, I want to know just what was that experience like doing Phantom on Broadway for you? You know, it, it was crazy because it was such a long journey. I was literally auditioning for some iteration of that show for about a decade before I finally booked it, literally. Um, and so something about that, like the fact that I'd had all this experience under my belt that I had been, you know, not cast in the show so many times, I think in a lot of ways um, was a gift in that I was able to, to really appreciate it for what it was and to know that I had kind of the, the skills and the experience to step up and, and handle that kind of a role. And, you know, um, and that kind of pressure, I think there was a lot, I was the first non-white Christine on Broadway ever and I joined in its like 29th year. So, you oh know, we gosh. had Mar- Margaret Ann Gates did the show in Canada. She's amazing. She was also like a, an Asian Ellen in Miss Saigon, but she never gotten to do it on Broadway. And so at that point, nobody had done it in London. Nobody had done it um, on Broadway. And so that was a lot of um, definitely self-imposed as well. Pressure of like, okay, if I'm going to be the first, A, like, you know, why did I get chosen for this honor? But B, like, I need to make sure that I'm not the last one, right? That I don't that the door doesn't close behind me, mm. that like, it doesn't, um, that it doesn't affect the show in a negative way. And, um, and so I'm just really grateful that I was in the right kind of headspace, I think, to be able to handle that. And then again, like, I have to shout out to our amazing Asian American community, because the amount of excitement and support that I got from, from our, all of our wonderful people and people that I had looked up to, you know, that like Anne Harada and Jason Ma and all, you know, like just all of these really, really remarkable performers. Leia Salonga came to see me a couple of times, like, uh, and who understood that it was significant and, um, and were really there for me and, and supporting me on that journey. And I think that, um, that's, that's part of what, what made it so special to get to do. I mean, it was a, it was a selfish dream role. I've always been a soprano and like, well, that's the, <laughs> that's the part for me. So. <laughs> Oh, that's so beautiful. And that show is a machine. Was Hal Prince still alive when you were a part of it? He was. Yeah, he was at my final callback. Um, he sat in the fifth row oh. and gave me some notes and he came to my put-in. I got to have a meeting in his office and I, I was really fortunate. I came in, I had Hal that I got to work with. Um, Jillian Lynn was still around. She came to some of my early rehearsals um, before she passed away. And then we had rehearsals with Andrew Lloyd Webber came in, Cameron McIntosh came to, um, I was there for the 30th anniversary. So they were all present for that. And so I, I was really fortunate Ooh. to get to get to work with everyone. And now I'm so excited. I can't wait to see. I haven't seen Emily on yet. Emily is the the first Black Christine on Broadway. And, and I'm just, I'm just so thrilled. I got to um, hang out with her in the theater, we were both doing an event at the Majestic um, about this amazing documentary that Sammy Canald made, The Show Must Go On, yeah. um, which hopefully will be able to be viewed um, at some point. But Emily and I met there and um, got to take some pictures with Sierra and I got to show her around the dressing room. And I'm just so I'm so thrilled for her. I hear she's doing amazing things over there. Iconic Christine's left and right. That is a gag. For sure. I'm so sad I didn't see you in Phantom. I've actually never seen it on Broadway. Isn't that wild? It's not. I mean, honestly, it's not unusual. I had a lot of friends who had never seen it on Broadway because there's usually never any urgency. There's so many other shows to see. And, you know, Phantom is kind of that that given of like, oh, there'll be time. I'll go. I'll go see it later. So I I totally understand. Wait, Johnny, tell me about City of Dreams. Oh, okay. So City of Dreams was a web series that me and a couple friends decided to write when we were just kind of out of work and doing literally nothing. 
we ended up writing this pretty, in, well, in my opinion, pretty hilarious, like, little show about three basically liars living in New York City. They lie to all their friends that they're, you know, in production of this beautiful, epic new musical that Cameron McIntosh was interested in. And basically, they had to make good on that lie and uh, find ways to trick everyone to believe that they were actually successful. Wait, wow, is it available for viewing? Yeah, it's all on YouTube. It's uh, I think it's 11 episodes, so you can literally marathon it. It takes two hours. It's super silly. We have some really lovely Broadway uh, stars on the show as guest stars in certain episodes. We have uh, Stephen Aramis randomly uh, was in it because we uh, have a mutual, mutual friend and he was a big supporter of us while we were doing that. And we got Billy Porter bef- literally right after he won his Tony too. Oh, wow. So he was so busy, but so generous with his time and was just the, uh, such a joy. Oh my goodness. And, and I, I think I saw like, it was critically acclaimed. Like didn't the New York Times even have some, some nice things to say? Yeah, so randomly when we first released the first episode, uh, USA Today put it up and we didn't even ask them to. They really enjoyed it and just did that. And we had an article, uh, we were included in this article about different Broadway-based web series in the New York Times and Playbill also featured us as well. Oh my gosh, congrats. That's, That's so, so cool. cool. Do you have any other ideas tinkering around in your head for other web series or... I mean, definitely. We, uh, on the side, besides acting, I'm also doing a bunch of writing. And uh, during the pandemic, actually, most of my time was spent writing pilots and such and pitching them to networks and all that sorts. Unfortunately, I didn't get anything, but, you know, it's just building that network, climbing oh, that yeah. ladder, you know. Oh, that's exciting. Oh my God. The, the sky is the limit for both of you. Thank I know. You. You, you guys are amazing. But before we go, we'd you like to end on a dose of drama to share mm-hmm. the, the drama in our hearts and on our minds. Dylan, do you have a dose of drama today? I could kick it off. I do have a dose of drama, but go for it. Okay. Well, I was going to say, by the time this comes out, this will have passed. But the original Broadway cast of Spring Awakening is doing a reunion benefit. And I didn't get a ticket, unfortunately. And I feel extremely dramatic about it because Spring Awakening was so impactful to me as a young, you know, middle school student slash high school. (laughs) And um, I can't believe they're just doing one night. Like, come on. They could have done like every Monday in November and sold it out. Right. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm I'm curious if they're going to like. I had heard T that they were going to actually re- do scenes from it, not just sing the songs. So I'm interested to see how it all turns out. And hopefully there's some coverage online, but the drama of the ticket prices being insane, you know, but what are you going to so, do? It's something effect. we all said that was going to change after the pandemic. LOL. Yeah. That's my, that's my real <laughs> dose of drama. It's like, everyone's like, we're going to make theater more accessible and we're going to make it more equitable and we're going to make it more affordable. And they've, Basically, no one's done that. That is drama. But anyway, Dylan, I should say Broadway shows have not done that. Yes. Theaters across America, I can guarantee you are. And I know that Matt Ross has tried to make specifically like Dana Agent Is This a Room and Passover more affordable and giving cool options to see those plays. But other than that, it is still crazy. Anyway, Dylan, dose of drama to you. This is this dose of drama. is It's just top of mind because Andrew Lloyd Webber was mentioned, but 
I heard recently that plans have been scrapped for this Glenn Close Sunset Boulevard movie adaptation. And I am devastated because what? this is, yeah, isn't that crazy? It's been in, it's been circling the drain for years and it's just not going to be happening unless something, you know, I, I don't know. I can't believe that there wouldn't be like someone who's like, hey, we need to make sure this happens. I'm super upset right now. She needs her Oscar. She does. Johnny's going to riot. I also, am. I'm like legitimately mad. <laughs> I know. You'd, you'd be great in, in Sunset. Both of you. As Betty and uh, what's his name? Joe. Joe? Yeah, yeah Joe. Yeah. We need Joe an all Johnny. Asian production. Anne Harada can be Norma Desmond. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yes. Anne Harada should do everything. Everything. Oh, that voice on <laughs> any of those songs would be amazing. I, I Her belt is just unreal i listen to the more you love someone all the time it's so unexpectedly brassy right i know <laughs> when they did that bombshell in concert she sang i never met a wolf who didn't love to howl whatever that song is called and she nailed it knocked it out of the park johnny do you have a dose of drama um um, um i don't know uh well i guess i'll just <laughs> piggyback on some of the stuff you said with spring awakening i do want to say that i grew up in the town next to leah michelle and I was supposed to do a production of Cinderella with her when we were in high school. She was Cinderella and I was the prince. And we rehearsed for one week, but then she quit, sadly. Really? She she had been on Broadway yeah. at that point. And um, I think, um, you know, I can't say for real the reasons why she quit because, you know, I was having fun with her. And um, But I think there might have been some issues with her agency and her doing a youth production somewhere. And like them not being super happy with her just doing like free work somewhere. <laughs> she would say in interviews that it was really hard for her to go from Broadway to doing her community, like community theater work because she ha- was a member of Equity. So maybe that was why. Oh, maybe, maybe it was yeah, true, John. Yeah. Maybe it was. I've never thought about that with child or, you know, minors who are actors about, you know, like say the kids in Fun Home, were they allowed to go back to their hometowns and just do community theater i don't know i I feel like the rules are unclear with that because you know if it is community theater and nobody's getting paid for it i doubt equity would really do anything about that unless there was like some money involved you know but i could be wrong i mean i i've never i've never done a community theater question after i turned equity so i I, i'm not really sure yeah yeah well that is so fun you knew young leah michelle i'm literally gagged and have many questions we'll talk about later um Allie, do you have any any dose of drama for us today oh my goodness well it's funny because i was going to talk about you know how sad i am that i finished all four seasons of the great pottery throwdown um and now i don't know what i'm going to do with my life but um but now which which is true which is absolutely true um i heard it's amazing drama it's so good. It's so, I mean, pottery is dramatic. I had no idea. You never know what's going to come out of that kiln. You don't know what's going to come out of the drying room. There are like cracks galore. Mm. There's all <laughs> sorts of like innuendo and like pulling like the, the handles. It's very, oh, I can for imagine. those of you who haven't watched it, highly recommend. But now I feel like I have to throw in my Leah Michelle story, which is not like super drama actually, <laughs> except for me which is that I was auditioning for the revival of Les Miserables, um, yes. where I ended up playing playing Cosette. And I came in for my final callback. I was in between tour cities of Les Mis. I was in between Cleveland and Cincinnati. Um, and they had me come in for a final callback where I was like matching up with Marius's and Eponine's. And Leah Michelle was there um, because she was auditioning for Eponine. She ended up doing Spring Awakening instead. But on my way to my callback, a bird pooped 
all over me, all, all very much all over me. Oh my and God. so I was in, I was in the bathroom getting ready for the audition with Leah Michelle picking out like just bird nonsense <laughs> oh uh, that smelled very bad out of my hair. And in some ways it was actually the, the best icebreaker to meet all of these people, including, you know, Cameron McIntosh and John Caird and all of them be like, I'm so sorry. A bird just pooped on me. Right. <laughs> Here I but am. But that was good luck. It was good luck. <laughs> it yeah. did. It, it worked out. I booked, I booked the show. It worked out well. Oh my God. <laughs> Wait, who, who ended up playing Marius and Eponine? I'm curious. It was Adam Jacobs who was there and he and I had done the tour together, another Filipino American. They were beautiful together. Oh, thank you. Um, and we, you know, we, we had sort of a, a leg up because we already had done had done the show. Um, and Celia Keenan Bolger was my Eponine first, and then Megan McGinnis replaced her later. So yes. excellent, awesome people. And we Legend. had we had Aaron Lazar on the pod, yeah. and he was in that production as well. He and was indeed. Norm Lewis, what a diverse re, I don't want to say reimagining, but just. I mean, Daphne Ruben Vega. So many hotties. Oh my God. Yeah. Daphne was our Fontaine and then Leia Salonga came in and replaced her. So it was, it was really, it was really cool. Cool thing to get to Uh, be part of. So cool. Well, I love that we also made this about Didi and about Leah Michelle. (laughs) You know, you never know what's going to happen on drama. Wait, I have a burning (laughs) question for Johnny. I know we're like keeping you guys forever. You were obsessed with Les Mis when you were young and your parents took you to see Miss Saigon, but did you ever get to see Les Mis? Oh, most definitely. I saw the original three hour plus production. It made me, it made my like year, honestly. It was amazing. It was like probably, I saw it, I I think maybe uh, three or four months after I saw Saigon. I think I complained. I needed that closure. (laughs) Yeah, I did see it. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, You two are so sweet and so fun. And this has been a true delight to have you on the podcast. I am devastated that I can't go see you in Gold Mountain right now. But I wish you both all the success. And I hope that the show has life beyond this because it is a story that deserves to be told. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having us. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, you both are on Instagram for sure, right? It's just your names. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we'll include those links in the in the description below. Are either of you on Twitter? Yes. Yeah, but I don't usually use it. Vaguely? Okay. That's probably yeah. safe, honestly. <laughs> well, listen, I hope that we can meet in person one day and talk all things Broadway and life and Dee Dee Magno Hall. I am a fan of both of you, and I am so thankful that you spent today with us. For those of you who don't follow us yet at The Drama Podcast, get on that and follow Connor at Connor McDowell and me at Dylan McDowell. And Connor, I will see you next time. Drama. Drama.